Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manesh. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest, but first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. One of the most valuable skills is learning how to sell. And I don't mean sales in the context of manipulation or any of those sleazy sales techniques. I'm talking about the old-fashioned art of bringing value to customers. I'd like you to attend How to Win Funds and Influence People. This is hosted by Russell Gray from the Real Estate Guys Radio Show. Coming up on June 28th and 29th in Dallas, Texas, this is a must-attend event. If you've not attended before, you definitely want to make it there. For more information, go to realestateguysradio.com slash events. That's realestateguysradio.com slash events. We are back. We're here on the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Orlando, Florida. Welcome to the show, Andrew Keel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Andrew, you're in a particular segment of real estate investing, one that's not that common. You're investing in mobile home parks, but maybe why don't you tell us how you got into this particular segment? Sure. I started out wholesaling and flipping houses, residential in Orlando, and ultimately wanted to become a landlord. And I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money. I knew I wanted to be a landlord. I thought that if I could become a landlord, that life would be good and I would have made it and wouldn't have to worry about money. But I didn't, didn't have a lot of money. And I, you know, the least expensive way to become a landlord ended up being mobile homes. And I, I found a guy named Lonnie Scruggs on YouTube and watched all of his videos, read his book, Deals on Wheels, and ended up buying about 19 individual mobile homes around Leesburg and Ocala, Florida, and then selling those on contract and creating mailbox money. And during that process, I met a couple park owners. And one of them, I took out to lunch and we sat down and he told me about the benefits of owning the actual real estate versus just the mobile homes. And after that, I was hooked and I knew that I wanted to buy a park. Didn't really know how I was going to do that, but I attended the mobile home university boot camp and some other mobile home park events and conferences. And at the same time I was cold calling mobile home park owners to try to find a, you know, an off market seller. I ended up finding one in Edwardsville, Illinois. I ended up contacting some of the attendees of the mobile home university boot camp that I went with and asked them if they would invest with me to help me, you know, purchase the property. And they did, and that was my first deal. And since then, we've done more of the same. And, and now we have 14 mobile home parks across six states, primarily in the Midwest. So it's, it's been a good journey. Fantastic. So when you're acquiring mobile home parks, I mean, there's many different strategies in this segment. You know, some people buy distressed and value add. Others look for parks that are performing well. Some are buying the mom and pops. What's been the formula that's been working for you? Sure, I'm I'm on the value add side of things. So we're purchasing properties that are, you know, still cash flowing, but are about 65 to 75% occupied and then we raise enough capital to infill and increase NOI through billing back for utilities, uh, you know, raising rents uh, amongst other things and improving overall management and then our goal is to refinance within 5 years to pay back the initial capital and uh, then hold on to it long-term for the cash flow. Mobile home parks are an asset class that has a very strong cap rate. I mean, there you can often find an awful lot of value. What have been some of the risks that you've uncovered? I'm thinking of infrastructure and things like that, things that are buried in the ground that you can't see. 
Definitely. You know, due diligence is the most important part and it's, it's a lot more involved than other, you know, some other forms of real estate. And it's exactly that, you know, we, we need to get, you know, good contractors out there to camera the lines, make sure that there's no collapsed, you know, storm drain or sewer lines. You know, there's only so much you can do, you know, without digging up a lot of uh, the infrastructure, but due diligence is a very in-depth process. And Mobile Home University teaches a a really good class on due diligence. And uh, we started there and added to that as we learned uh, through the different deals that we've done, you know, some, some of the additional things that are, that are good to look out for when, when purchasing a mobile home park. The key to scaling any business is eventually to get to the point where you can be hands-off on a business. You know, I think of guys like Richard Branson, who owns well over 100 companies, and he's established, he's installed leadership that he trusts in each of those leadership roles for those companies. How do you manage 14 properties in six states? How do you do that simultaneously? Yeah, great question. You know, part of the reason we love mobile home parks is the ability to scale. Uh, given that we only own, you know, the real estate, the dirt underneath of these homes, we don't have to fix an AC unit or fix a squeaky door. You know, we don't get the typical calls that a normal residential landlord or, you know, multifamily landlord gets. So that is is part of the scalability that we really appreciate. Uh, we do have a team of about five employees out of our uh, Orlando, Florida office, and then we have an on-site manager at each property. You know, that's our eyes and ears and, and helps us uh, with several aspects of the business. So it's a, it's a very scalable model. When you're taking over a park, there's obviously existing management. It's not performing where you would want it to be. And those are the folks that, to some extent, messed it up. Do you install new management? Do you retrain the existing management? How do you manage that transition? Yeah, great question. Uh, on any deal that we do, we have the, the seller release or end uh, employment with any manager that they have, whether it's a good manager or a bad, so that we start on a, fl- a fresh slate, you know, and we, we open up interviews to talk to everyone. Uh, we've done both where we've let the previous manager go and we haven't used them. And we've also hired brand new ones out of the park that have worked out great. Uh, it just depends on the person. And during the first couple of months, we spend a lot of time on site, you know, meeting the managers, meeting the, the tenants, and ultimately getting to know, you know, who cares and who wants to see the property improve. And, and that's, that's a big part of it. You know, sometimes you could have a good manager and the constraint is the owner that's not allowing that manager to perform. Have you encountered that situation? We have a, a couple times. And ultimately, you know, like on my first property, you know, we wanted to be very hands-on and, and very involved to guarantee our success. But at the same time, you know, you can over-manage, you know, the manager. You need to let them feel empowered to make decisions for the betterment of the community. And once we realized that and gave our managers the ability to make, you know, certain decisions within a, a certain budget, it really helped us because it not only freed up our, our management time, but also, you know, it really spoke to what the tenants were wanting in these properties. So like one of our managers said that the tenants really were really would enjoy having a couple picnic tables. And for, for nominal expense, we were able to deliver something that the tenants really enjoy. And it, it helped make our property more sticky so that our tenant turnover rate was, was lower. So it's a case-by-case basis. What are some of the amenities that you've installed that have improved the retention of clients in the park? Yeah, that's a great question. We've installed from picnic tables to outdoor grills 
Uh, we put up a pavilion in a big green area in the middle of one of our parks. The best amenity that we added, I think, is a dog park. We put in a dog park, uh, very low liability compared to a pool or a, a playground equipment and very low cost as well. You know, you basically square off an area, get some green enamel coated chain link fencing and order one of those stands that has a, a you know, little, little dog park you know, trash can for the, the waste and install some bags. So it, it was a very low cost item and the tenants really loved it. Fantastic. So what's the, what's the end game? Where, where are you headed with this business? Yeah, the end game is, you know, right now I'm, I'm fairly young, so we're in acquisition mode, uh, looking to continue to acquire parks. And ultimately, our, our goal is to own and uh, manage $100 million in asset value of manufactured housing communities. Wow, that's a, that's a sizable portfolio for that asset class. It definitely is, considering that, you know, the average 50-lot mobile home park is only worth about, you know, a million and a half. I love it. Well, folks want to get in touch. What's the best way? Yeah, the best way to reach me would be on my website. It's keelteam.com. That's K-E-E-L-T-E-A-M.com. Well, for the listeners at home, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about mobile home parks, manufactured homes, definitely reach out to Andrew at keelteam.com. That's K-E-E-L-T-E-A-M.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.